welcome back to Carmelite Spirituality Conversations on uh, Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Francis and I are uh, looking forward to bringing you this message today, although we'll uh, state up front, I think, Francis, that this is a tough message uh, because it begins with uh, an acknowledgement of uh, some of the darkness resonant in our society today. We'll say a little bit more about that. Uh, but it has to do with um, uh, an unfortunate uh, recent increase in the suicide rate in the United States statistics that were just published. Uh, they came out in the New York Times, and they reflect, um, I think, some of the darkness and the despair that is resonant in our modern age and in our modern society. And so to counterbalance that, uh, Francis and I have uh, decided that we want to reflect on the virtue of hope uh, drawn in part from um, the former Holy Father, Pope Benedict's uh, encyclical entitled On Christian Hope as well, because we're Carmelites from a book that we've made reference to before, Divine Intimacy by Father Gabriel of uh, Mary Magdalene. Uh, and we drew sections uh, from uh, his writings on hope. And I'm hopeful, Francis, that this message will resonate with our listeners today. I'm hopeful, too. I'm sitting here in hope, even though I don't may necessarily feel like it. <laughs> right? But we can hope without feeling um, feeling the results of hope. We can still hope because that's a blind hope that um, really glorifies the Lord, doesn't it? Well, if we're going to have this conversation, I think we need to make sure that we uh, cover ourselves most, especially we do it, of course, every week, but most especially today, cover ourselves in prayer. As I say, it is a tough message, um, but a, but a hopeful message. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and it is very important for us to understand the virtue of hope and how we can uh, experience it in our spiritual journey. So Francis, I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind, please lead us in prayer and a uh, hopeful prayer at that. Well, I've turned to St. John of the Cross in his dark night. Um, he has this prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Clothe me, O God, with the green garment of hope. A living hope in you gives the soul such ardor, so much courage and longing for the things of eternal life, that by comparison with what it hopes for, all things of the world seem to it to be, as in truth they are, dry, faded, dead, and without value. Give me then a strong hope, O oh my God, so that it may strip me of all the vanities of the world, that I may not set my heart upon anything that is in the world, nor hope for anything, but live clad only in the hope of eternal life. Let hope be the helmet of salvation, which will protect my head from the wounds of the enemy, and will direct my gaze to heaven, allowing me to fix my eyes on you alone, my God. As the eyes of the handmaid are set upon the hands of her mistress, even so are my eyes set upon you until you take pity on me because of my hope. Grant that I may set my eyes on naught but you, nor be pleased with aught but you alone. Then you will be pleased with me, and I shall be able to say in all truth that I receive from you as much as I hope for. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, a perfect prayer, Francis, to start us off. And um, in fact, uh, though I know we didn't coordinate that, that's the very central theme for our conversation today, um, this idea of keeping our hope focused 
on the eternal, on those things that are beyond our experience in this world. And uh, the former Pope, uh, Holy um, Holy Father uh, Benedict, and I won't continue to refer to him that way, but uh, Pope Benedict uh, the Sixteenth um, wrote, of course, a wonderful encyclical letter titled "On Christian Hope," and he explains this uh, pursuit of hope and how, in fact, we'll talk about this a little bit, how it's gotten misdirected in our modern era uh, and misguided. And again, I said we wanted to. Um, do this program. This was actually Francis's recommendation a couple of weeks ago, and then I came across a very unfortunate article from the New York Times. I'll only read a portion of it, but um, it's about this increased rate of suicide that I mentioned. We're experiencing the highest levels of suicide in this country in the last 30 years. Federal data uh, analysis has found that the increase is in every age group, with the exception of older adults. Um, the rise was particularly steep, and this is new for women. It was also substantial among the middle-aged, um, sending a signal of the deep anguish from a group whose suicide rate has seen a stable uh, fall, falling over the last 50 years. That's the middle age. The suicide rate for middle-aged women, ages 45 to 64, jumped by 63% over the period of this study, while it rose by 43% for men in that same age group. The sharpest increase for males in that group uh, since these statistics have been gathered. The overall suicide rate rose by 24%. And this is from 1999 to 2014. That's the uh, period of the study. So again, a very disturbing trend in our society, and we're going to talk about how it is that we need to uh, um, address this uh, from a spiritual perspective because uh, clearly, um, and we've discussed this before, Francis, someone who reaches that point of desolation and despair that would cause them to take their own life um, is experiencing a loss of hope, the right. complete absence of hope. Well, because the circumstances that lead to one to take their own life, you know, they're very varied and, and always confusing, heart-wrenching. But the one consistent theme that runs throughout any event where someone is so distraught that they feel they need to take their own life is this absent uh, absence of hope. And that reminds me of St. Paul saying from Romans 8:24a, for in hope we have been saved. Yeah, in um, Scripture, of course, we find references to hope. I would encourage our listeners, and I did this myself over the weekend. I went back and found a number of references. We use some of them, but not uh, quite as many as um, uh, might have been available to us. The Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI, used a number of references to hope in his encyclical, and we will bring some of those out. But I would encourage our listeners to go back, even if only in the Gospels, read every reference to hope. If you're going through a moment of darkness and despair, uh, take the time to draw off of um, the fruit in the Gospels this message of hope. I think it'll be uplifting for you. We need to take uh, St. Paul here at his word. This hope is not a small matter. It literally has to do with our salvation. Well, what does Paul mean by that? Well, in Pope Benedict's encyclical, uh, titled, again, On Christian Hope, it's well worth taking the time, by the way, to read this. It's a relatively short reflection. It's only about 54, 56 pages, depending on what version of it you might get. But I strongly encourage, even though we won't go through all of the sections today, Francis, in our conversation, I really encourage our, our listeners 
um, to go back and read this encyclical on Christian hope by Pope Benedict. It begins by describing the meaning of hope and the importance that this virtue plays in our spiritual life, and we will discuss that in some detail. But then the encyclical goes on to explore how we as Christians can learn to practice the gift of hope. That's the most important, I think, part of our conversation, which we'll get to after the break. Um, It's an important section because it has to do with the central theme of the Holy Father's message, trying, um, at the time that he authored this, to stem the tide of what he saw as not just a loss of hope in many uh, cultures, uh, but the misguided um, um, uh, placement of hope. In other words, placing it in things that will never fulfill our greatest desire and hope. And finally, in this encyclical, as is so often the case in the spiritual life, the Holy Father offers us a model for the practice of hope. And to no one's surprise who's been listening to this program for any length of time, that model would be the Blessed Mother. So it's our point to cover each of these three sections in our conversation and to intersperse it with some of the reflections from the writings found in the work Divine Intimacy by um, Carmelite theologian and spiritual director Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene. We, we love that book. Um, so we want to start by explaining the meaning and importance of hope and see what Father Gabriel has to say about this. Yeah, and for those, uh, again, who've been uh, listeners of the program, you'll recall uh, our conversation about Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene. We did a, a series on him. He was a wonderful right. man and gifted us with this um, a wonderful work called Divine Intimacy. Not his only work, by the way, but perhaps uh, uh, the most important piece that he authored. I recommend it to everyone on, that's serious about growing spiritually. It's excellent. Well, so let us begin, and I'm going to be reading from the one-volume version, if you happen to be familiar. Francis, of course, will host the resources for uh, today's conversation, as she always does, and I appreciate that very much. And by the way, if you haven't checked out our new website yet, I encourage you to do that. I want to give um, a a shout-out to uh, our technology support, Tim Beat, a member of our community, who really has done a wonderful job of redesigning our website carmeliteconversations.com. You can go there and you'll find all the resources for the various programs that we've done. And also, you can go to Radio Maria to the archives, so you have two places to to check it out. But this is what Father Gabriel starts with on hope. He says, Faith makes us know God. We believe in him with all of our strength, but we do not see him. Our faith, therefore, needs to be supported by the certitude that someday we will see our God, that we will possess him and will be united to him forever. The virtue of hope gives us this certitude by presenting God to us as our infinite good and our eternal reward. Faith tells us that God is goodness, beauty, wisdom, providence, charity, and infinite mercy. And hope adds that this God, so great, so good, belongs to us. He wants to be not only our eternal possession and our eternal beatitude, but even here below, he wishes to be possessed by us through charity and grace. Even now, he invites us, Mark and me and you, to live in intimate union with him. So we see here that hope not only informs, but it also supports our faith. We're going to talk a little bit about this, the juxtaposition between faith and hope, important 
um, that uh, we acknowledge that they are uh, supportive of one another, they go together, they're indispensable to each other. And I will go even further, Francis, I was thinking about this as I was reflecting on our conversation today, and I will um, say uh, very pointedly, I don't believe that a person can enter contemplative prayer without the gift of hope, without the practice of the virtue of hope. By its very nature, hope um, is what introduces us into the realization that we are called to something deeper than what we experience in this life. And in order to enter into that contemplative encounter with the living God, we must practice the virtue of hope. Now, we do, in fact, believe in God. That's our faith. But to return to the second half of the verse that Francis read a moment ago from Romans 8.24, she read A, the first section. In the second section, we hear this. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? What Paul is saying is that hope is grounded in not the experience, the encounter, the realization of what it is that we hope for, but rather the continuous desire for it. Hope, by its very nature, deepens our desire. This, of course, is where that creative tension of our spiritual journey exists. We are well aware of God and his blessings and his promises. They've been given to us by the saints, by scripture, by our Lord, uh, by the church, by the deposit of faith. But hope is what keeps us desiring God and also seeking him. It is that tension between faith and hope that creates the desire to continue the pursuit. Why is that necessary? Why is that important? Because inevitably we will fall back on hope to overcome the difficulties. Faith gets us uh, to the point where we believe and we know and we have a certitude about the existence of both God and ourselves and our purpose in life. But hope is what stimulates that desire. Well, um, I believe Ma Ralph Martin described it this way one time. Now, Ralph Martin's written a book, uh, The Fulfillment of All Desires, I believe. And he said, and, and I'm just paraphrasing here, faith is our belief in God, whereas hope is what creates and sustains our desire for God and for the fulfillment of all that he promised. And I think, in fact, that's the title of Ralph's book, The Fulfillment of All Desire. Yes, oh, That's his that title. worked out really well. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, we've not really begun to discuss the how of hope. I want to caution us here. Uh, but only the what. What is hope? We will get to the how, though, though we'll give you a little advance notice here or a glimpse of the future. Hope supports faith, I said a moment ago, by sustaining that image and the internal vision of an eternal reality that will one day be ours. So hope creates a desire for possession of something that we do not yet possess. That's what keeps us moving on. That's what uh, carries us through these difficult times in our life. And again, as I say, uh, that's more the practice of hope. We're explaining the what. Um, and we'll stay focused on that for that, just a moment. That reminds me of 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. However, as it is written... What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Because this hope is what uh, creates and sustains our desire, like we said. And this, of course, is an Im important element in our hope, the realization that one day we are going to enjoy an eternal peace and glory in heaven. And Pope Benedict uses the term resurrection to describe this basis for hope. For you, you know, we know that if we have placed our hopes 
on a sense of purpose and fulfillment in this life alone, then, oh boy, we've exposed ourselves to a great risk, which is the complete loss of hope. Because we must realize that the loss of hope occurs when we can no longer find any motivation for our, our existence. When the earthly life we see unfolding before us no longer holds any possibility of providing a sense of fulfillment, which, of course, it never really can. Yeah, Hebrews thirteen fourteen 14 um, reminds us of this. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. And again, I, I can't emphasize this point enough, I think, Francis, that um, we can... Um, create this vision of what we have sprinkling evidences of. We can find it in near-death experiences. We find it in the book of Revelation. We find it uh, in the church's teaching about eternal glory. In the mystics. In the mystics, <laughs> Like our saints, Teresa, Absolutely. John. <laughs> and, and it can give us some encouragement. What we know, as Francis has already shared with us, is that no eye has seen. We can't even imagine the glory that awaits us. That's encouraging. That should uplift us. That should keep us going. That's not the only way to practice hope. It is a method, of course, of engendering this uh, desire for our future state. But it is not the only way. We have to be sustained today, and we can't live on just uh, the dream of the future. We have to be able to uh, keep ourselves focused today, and we're going to get to how that happens. As important, however, as this eternal reality is, it is not actually what the former Holy Father, Pope Benedict, says we should rest our hope in. It is a means of encouragement, as I said. Indeed, it is something much more important than that heavenly glory and much more immediate to our human experience. This is where we need to focus. What is it that will keep me from entering that state of desolation, despair, that on occasion leads to this most final and and tragic decision? Okay, so Pope Benedict wants to give us an example of what his point is here. Um, He uses the real-life example of the African slave girl and now saint, Josephine Bakita. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of this young girl. She was born in Darfur, Sudan, in about the year 1869. She was taken as a slave at the age of nine, and she lived a great life of suffering and abuse until she was eventually acquired by an Italian merchant in 1882. This merchant, unlike all her previous masters, was quite kind and good to Bikita. He also exposed her to his Catholic faith, And then for the first time, she came to understand that the term master did not have to mean harshness and cruelty. More importantly, it was during this time that she was introduced to the one true master, Jesus Christ. She came to understand that Christ was not only not a taskmaster, but in fact was a master who actually loved her just for who she was is a profound story of struggle, adversity, and the ultimate victory of love. Yeah, but we want to step back for just a moment and revisit this idea of the loss of hope in the context of Paquita's story, which Francis has just mentioned. We suggested that what brings about this loss or this mistaken belief in our circumstances, um, uh, the circumstances will not change, that the events of our life will never get better, we'll never come to know any real peace or any real... A sense of purpose in our life. This is what leads us to a loss of hope. Yeah, doomsday view. But that is not the whole story. 
it's difficult, even at times uh, of, of horrible circumstances like the ones Francis has related regarding the life of Josephine Bakita, um, where people are brought to a place of suicide. If that's true, though, why wouldn't someone like Bakita have taken her own life? We know from her story, we can argue that she certainly had the opportunity. She worked in a kitchen um, as a slave for one of her masters, one who, by the way, beat her daily. Mm -hmm. It was a daily scourging that she underwent in that particular experience. Uh, It would seem logical to assume she had access to knives or some other instrument that she could have used to take her own life. We might ask this about a number of people who've gone through very difficult circumstances. Why didn't they feel compelled uh, to take their own life? This is prior to her exposure to any sort of uh, Christian faith, by the way. There is something else that is almost always present, by the way, when a person reaches that state of despair and desolation that leads them to take their own life. And that's the mistaken conclusion that they themselves are unable to do anything to change their circumstances. And in fact, they may well come to themselves as completely, see themselves as completely wretched, unworthy, and certainly unworthy of continuing to live. We can imagine that Josephine Bakita might have had similar experiences. Why, for example, after being taken as a very young girl, did she spend the rest of her early life uh, being abused and battered and beaten, and I'm sure psychologically as well as physically? Well, there's no question that there have been uh, people throughout history who have reached such a state of despair over their circumstances, whether a result of the same abuse that Bakita folk, uh, uh, faced, whether the ravages of war or overwhelming fear. I think here, Francis, of um, those individuals we saw who jumped uh, out of the World Trade Center uh, years ago um, at the sheer terror of facing the prospect of burning to death. Yeah, in the state of total despair. And, and not having anything uh, directly to do with their personal lives or their own condition. They just, uh, the stark terror of it all. However, for those who have taken the time to consider their situation, viewed what they must have concluded was their own inability to change anything about their circumstances or perhaps even their own real inadequacies as human beings, the real cause of their decision is either a loss of hope or perhaps misguided hope. This is what the Holy Father is directing our attention to. Or, he says, a hope that is placed in the things that cannot save them namely themselves. So just to retrace a little bit, what we're saying is this loss of hope can come in a couple of ways. It may be the overwhelming circumstances in which we live, terrible, horrible, terrifying as they are, or it may be in that situation, our own sense of inadequacy, our unworthiness, our wretchedness. In either case, we might be led to that most fateful decision uh, to choose to take our own life. And of course, Um, The Holy Father is going to give us uh, not only what he's already given us, this view of heaven, uh, but also something a bit more practical uh, as a means of holding on to hope. And we've seen it already in the life of Bikita, and that is the realization that there is another master for all of us, an eternal master. And he not only accepts us in whatever state or condition we're in, but in fact embraces us and loves us. And I'm going to ask you to, Francis, if you wouldn't mind reading um, that next section from Father Gabriel sort of emphasizes. Yeah, he's this. talking about this misguided hope and how it leads to <clears throat> despair. And this is what he says. We look at the infinite God who is perfect and immensely higher than ourselves, a weak, miserable creature, and we wonder, how can I ever reach him and be united with him who is so infinitely beyond my capacity? And hope replies, you can, for God himself wishes it, 
It was for this reason that he created you and raised you to the supernatural state, giving you all the help necessary for such an arduous undertaking. The Council of Trent affirms that we should all have a very firm hope in the help of God, help which he has formerly promised to those who love him and have recourse to him with confidence. As we know from Matthew 7, 7, verse 11, Ask, and it shall be given you. Jesus says, Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? The good things promised by Jesus are those contained in the act of hope eternal life, and the graces necessary to attain it. This is the object of hope and what we must ask for before everything else. So before we go to break, I, I just want to sort of capstone our, our conversation to this point. We have made clear the desperate times in which we live, the statistics, unfortunate as they are, regarding the high rates of suicide and climbing rates of suicide. Our hope must be placed in something beyond this world. That's our eternal destiny. More immediately, our hope is placed in a person, in Jesus Christ. But thirdly, and what we were just introduced to and what we'll come back to after the break is, we must do something about that hope. We must exercise that hope. We must step out in faith, yes, the realization that God exists and that we, he, he's called us to himself. But we have action to take. Seek and ye shall find. That's the phrase we're going to come back to just after the break. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. Francis and I are having a, um, I think and hope, Francis, a very We're hoping, fruitful, all right. <laughs> <laughs> a fruitful conversation on the virtue of hope, the importance of hope. I uh, have to say, Francis, um, I, I can't imagine a more challenging or more important virtue for us to be practicing right now. It's always true that charity is is um, uh, an important virtue. Faith, uh, certainly an important virtue. But hope is an active virtue and one that we need to practice and one that we need to acquire and one that we need to dwell in, I would say, uh, be saturated in because um, the times are very dark and they require that and we need to find ways to exercise hope. Absolutely. So we had just talked about the scripture passage about seek and you will find. That is the essence of hope. And of course, seeking and finding the Lord, all right? We must never stop seeking, but we also must understand that what we seek is not of this world. And furthermore, even the power to continue the search is not our own. It is within us only through grace from God. Yeah, and I we have a reading again from Divine Intimacy that I'd like us to focus on, but I want to emphasize this point. Um, you know, there's the realization that there is an eternal destiny for us. There's the reality of the living God, Jesus Christ, who we experience and can experience. Um, there is our need to uh, take an active role in exercising hope, along with faith. They support each other. But all of this is a gift. All of this is grace. All of it is given to us. We shouldn't sit here and think to ourselves, oh, I've got to do more. I've got to work hard. I've got to, you know, whatever. No, what you have to do is ask God for the grace to do it. That's it. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Father, uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, former Holy Father, is going to um, emphasize that again. But I want to capitalize on this from uh, the reading in Divine Intimacy. I think this is a good section that Father Gabriel of uh, St. Mary Magdalene has given us. And so this is what Father Gabriel tells us. In addition, God wants us to be equally sure that he will give us all the graces necessary to lead a good life, overcome our temptations and our faults, and to advance in virtue. Thus we will attain to union with him, not only in heaven, but even on earth. Our ideal... The ideal of sanctity can be realized. Oh, that's great news. I'm, I'm hanging on to that. <laughs> God wills to expect all this from him, not because of our merits, but because he is infinitely good, because he is the omnipotentia auxiliens, the helping, helping omnipotence, always ready to come to our aid. Of course, it would be rash to hope that God will save and sanctify us without our cooperation, so we got to do our part. But if on our part we do all we can to avoid even the slightest faults and to practice virtue generously, we can hope with certainty that he will do for us what we, in spite of all of our efforts, can never succeed in doing. God wants us to be certain of this. Certitude is a quality of perfect hope, and God wants us to practice this virtue to perfection. And, you know, Father Gabriel goes on in the next um, reflection that he's going to offer. This was titled The Motive for Hope. He says this, if we had to base our hope on our own merits and on the amount of grace that we possess, it would be very insecure because we cannot be certain that we are in a state of grace, nor can we be certain about our good works, which are always so full of defects. But our hope is sure because it is founded not on ourselves, but on God. 
on his infinite goodness, on his salvific will, which desires all men to be saved. This is from 1 Timothy 2.4. And on his sanctifying will that wants us not only to be saved, but also to be saints. This is the will of God, your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. God wishes the certitude of our hope to rest upon him alone. Although he demands our cooperation, Francis said this a moment ago, and our good works, he does not want us to base our confidence on them. In fact, after having urged us to do all that is in our power, Jesus added, when you shall have done all these things that are commanded of you, say, we are unprofitable servants. And I found a quote from our little flower, St. Therese, that sums that up so beautifully. This is what she tells us. We can never have, excuse me, we can never have too much confidence in the good God who is so powerful and so merciful. We obtain from him as much as we hope for. How you like that? Yeah, very so, good. Uh, she'll lead us the way on this pathway of hope. Well, you know, returning to Pope Benedict's reflection on hope for just a moment, we read in the fourth section of this work, um, uh, the the, uh, question about whether our understanding of hope is individualistic or whether it has a social character, meaning is it about us alone or is this about the larger body of Christ, something we've talked about many times, the mystical body of Christ. Um, By social, of course, the Holy Father is asking what role we must play in supporting the entire mystical body of Christ in both desiring and seeking the greater good that we are discussing here. Um, And and I want to read this section um, from uh, that particular encyclical. And again, this is titled, titled, Is Christian Hope Individualistic? That's the section I'm reading from. It says, we need to concern ourselves here with all the texts in which the social character of hope appears. Let us concentrate on St. Augustine's letter to uh, Proba, uh, in which St. Augustine tries to illustrate to some degree this known unknown that we seek. We've mentioned that before. We know through faith, but we don't experience. This is hope. His point of departure is simply the expression, blessed life. And then he quotes Psalm 144, 15, Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. And he continues, St. Augustine again, In order to be numbered among this people and to attain everlasting life with God, the end of the commandment is charity. It issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. This is real life, towards which we try to reach out again and again. That's hope. Is linked to and lived in union with a people. And for each individual, it can only be attained within this we. It presumes that we escape from the prison of our I, because only in the openness of this universal subject does our gaze open to the source of joy to love itself to God. So what the Holy Father is introducing here is this um, um, teaching again of the church, which is, yes, it is important for us to act. We have a responsibility. God supports all of that. But then let's not fall into the trap, as St. Teresa of Avila would have cautioned, uh, that thinking, um, you know, doing everything that we're doing in the spiritual journey is just about us and about our own salvation. It has to be bigger than that. Even here, though, as we see in the lives of the saints charity towards our neighbor, and as we strive to assist others through our prayers, our sacrifices, our offering of our suffering, even the strength and the courage to do these things is a gift from God. But we see the necessity of being part of the mystical body and working not only for our own salvation, but for the 
salvation of the mystical body and taking comfort in the realization when we reach those points of darkness and despair, taking comfort in the realization that other members of the body are stepping in and lifting some of that burden off us. Well, Father Gabriel counsels us that, you know, if in the face of difficulties and sacrifices imposed on us by our duties, we stop to calculate our strength, we will draw back and be tempted to give up. But if, on the contrary, we stop looking at ourselves and turn our eyes to God, to his infinite love, the certitude of his help will give us the strength to go on. Firm hope in him will make us strong, courageous, and generous. It will be the lever of our life. So we see again the former Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI's encouragement that we're on this journey together. We know that all of our ability to fulfill our responsibilities and to live these lives of charity comes from our complete reliance on God. And by the way, this will be very important as we begin to look at what he, uh, Pope Benedict, characterized as the settings for learning hope, the environment in which we learn hope. And in fact, we'll address this at the end of the the conversation, as he does at the end of his document. But before going there, I just want to spend a moment discussing the fifth section in his document. It's a reflection on the distortions of the idea of hope in our modern times, and very important. Uh, We will not have time, unfortunately, to discuss it at length here, but it is well worth reading. In detail, if you want to uh, understand, I would read this um, um, a few times, to understand how we have gotten so far off course and so far away from God's plan in our modern era. I said um, these statistics are only validation of the unfortunate darkness so pervasive in our society, and the Holy Father writing uh, at the time of this uh, particular encyclical recognized even then where the distortion had begun uh, and how it was manifesting itself in the modern era. Uh, Pope Francis, I mean, excuse me, Pope Benedict, uh, traced the beginnings of this, this distortion of the idea of hope, back to the ideas of Francis Bacon and the scientific revolution. I know in my age, uh, when I was in school, we studied that. So uh, <laughs> I think a lot of you will know what we're talking about. The central theme here is that this was the beginning of man's mistaken belief that the recovery of what we had lost with the fall would not be regained with faith in Jesus Christ, but what they thought, rather, would be regained by faith in human initiative and achievement, and later on, technology. Worse still, this led to a redefinition of hope, whereby man now places his hope in the faith of human progress rather than God. So that's the distortion. Yeah, in other words, we've come to a place in history where we now place our hope on human systems, whether they're political, economic, cultural. And as human systems have continued to demonstrate their inevitable flaws and our leaders have continued to grapple and yet remain unable to deal with the mounting problems of our society, people who had a pla- had placed their hope in these systems have begun to experience this disillusion that Francis mentioned, despair, and a loss of hope, leading, as we've already pointed out, to the very unfortunate reality of an increased rate of suicide. Pope Benedict goes on to reiterate in the next section of this reflection that though it is fine to have hope in the advances of things like science and medicine and economic initiative, these are good and positive in and of themselves, for these do offer the fulfillment of what he characterizes as man's minor hopes. In fact, he wrote a wonderful um, 
uh, letter one time, or it was a public address that he'd given, that man must still have hopes and dreams. The, yes, the, the right. Holy Father Pope Benedict had written that. I remember reading it and being very encouraged by it. He wasn't saying that you know everything is is outside of this world. He's saying we must still have hopes and dreams. However, he goes on in this encyclical, these must always be tied to and subordinated to what he characterizes as the larger hope that we have in God. But the truth is that these lesser hopes will never completely fulfill our greatest need, which, of course, is complete and eternal union with God. So when these lesser aspirations, aspirations, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) You were thinking of apparitions, weren't you? (laughs) I guess. Um, You know, this technology, these, you know, depending on human uh, developments here, when, when they disappoint us, when we enter into that experience of adversity, and at times, even desolation, um, as we, inevitably we all do um, in various degrees, we must be able to rely on faith and hope in the perfect and eternal aspiration of divine union. The realization that, and we Carmelites understand this well, we are called to an intimate union with our God. We are called to it even in this life, although we know we will attain it for certain in the next life. We have the opportunity to experience it even in this life. And if our goals, our aspirations, our desires are for anything less than that, we will ultimately reach a state of confusion. It begins with that. When the systems that we relied on begin to uh, fail us, as inevitably they will. And then we become like a cynic and exactly. sarcastic and depressed and discouraged, and then we get into that desolation period. Yeah. And you see some of that manifesting itself even on the political landscape today in the form of anger and and vitriol and all the rest of it. But But it is this expectation that humans in and of themselves, through the systems they've created, can somehow solve their problems. We know that's not the case. Well, Father Gabriel tells us we must prove the firmness of our faith by persevering in it in spite of its obscurity. We prove that our hope is strong by continuing to hope in spite of adversity and even when God seems to have abandoned us. Yeah, St. Therese can tell you a lot about that. (laughs) As an act of faith made in the midst of darkness and doubts is more meritorious, so it is with the act of hope uttered in desolation and abandonment. So actually, these moments of abandonment, these most moments of despair and uh, darkness are, are great opportunities for us to just leap into the heart of God in this great faith and hope, yeah, boundless hope. Ironic as it may sound, they are moments for great blessing. And in fact, the Holy Father, uh, Benedict, again, the 16th, is going to reiterate that. Uh, for us, again, later when he talks about the uh, settings for hope. Finally, we want to discuss those three main settings that Pope Benedict XVI suggests as the schoolhouse of hope. The first, and this should come as no surprise to a Carmelite, is prayer. Yes. Um, Yeah, Pope Benedict, I have to say this. He said this, quote, The first essential setting for learning hope is prayer. Why do you think Our Lady keeps telling us, pray, pray, pray? (laughs) I don't think that will come as a confusing uh, statement to any Carmelite. I want to read a little further in that very section, actually. He says, when no one listens to me anymore, God still listens to me. When I can no longer talk to anyone or call upon anyone, I can always talk to God. When there's no longer anyone to help me to deal with the need or expectation that goes beyond the human capacity for hope, God can help me. When I have been plunged into complete solitude, if I pray and am never totally, I, I pray I'm never totally alone. 
He cites the late Cardinal, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to mess this up, but uh, Van Thuan, a Vietnamese cardinal, a prisoner for 16 years, nine of them, by the way, spent in solitary confinement, and he left in, the reflections left in a precious little book entitled Prayers of Hope. I encourage very you to good, read it, Very good, very yeah. good, yes. During 13 years in jail and in a situation of seemingly utter hopelessness, the fact that he could listen and speak to God became for him an increasing power of hope, which enabled him, after his release, to become for people all over the world a witness to hope and to the, that great hope which does not wane even in the darkest nights of solitude. A wonderful book, Prayers of Hope. Well, Pope Benedict goes on to explain <clears throat> the role of action and suffering. This might sound a bit surprising, even to those who have been listening to this program from some length of time, even to those who have had some experience in the spiritual journey. But Pope Benedict goes on to explain that both action, by which he means acts of charity and efforts to create a more just society, action and suffering are also important settings for learning hope. Yeah, and I'm going to read again from his encyclical on this idea. This actually was the longest section, uh, Francis, in the encyclical on the settings for hope was this uh, section of action and suffering. Um, Again, not perhaps um, uh, too challenging for uh, listeners to this program, the understanding of the value of suffering. Francis even mentioned it just a moment ago. But let me read what Pope Benedict uh, had to say about this. To suffer with the other... And for others, again, he's relating back to his earlier, it's no longer an I, but it's a we. To suffer for the sake of truth and justice, to suffer out of love, and in order to become a person who truly loves, these are fundamental elements of humanity. And to abandon them would destroy man himself. Yet once again, the question arises, are we capable of this? Is the other important enough to warrant my becoming on his account or her account a person who suffers? Does truth matter to me enough to make suffering worthwhile? Is the promise of love so great that it justifies the gift of myself? In the history of humanity, it was the Christian faith that had the particular merit of bringing forth within man a new and deeper capacity for these kinds of suffering that are decisive for humanity. The Christian faith has shown us that truth, justice, and love are not simply ideals, but enormously weighty realities. And of course, in the context of hope, again, we go back to hope in that eternal reality. Hope today, more immediately, in the love of Jesus Christ. Love has to be understood, and here the Holy Father is linking that love uh, to the realization of suffering. But suffering, not just for the I, but for the we, which gives us the strength to overcome uh, that trial and that suffering a little bit. Let me read just one other piece of this section. He says, I would like to add here another brief comment with some relevance for everyday living. There used to be a form of devotion, perhaps less practiced today, but quite widespread not long ago, that included the idea of offering up the Mm -hmm. minor daily hardships that continually strike at us like irritating jabs. Does that... Yeah, I do this all the time. I'm practicing this one. (laughs) (laughs) Thereby giving them a meaning. Of course, there were some exaggerations, perhaps even unhealthy applications of this devotion, the Holy Father says. But we need to ask ourselves whether there may not, after all, have been something essential and helpful contained within it. What does it mean to offer something up? He asks us, he challenges us even in this uh, document to to wrestle with that. And I challenge all of our listeners to do that. Offer it up. I mean, it really will help because we're all together in this. Father Gabriel tells us this. 
the least act of hope, of trust in God, made in the midst of trials, in a state of interior or exterior desolation, is worth far more than a thousand acts made in times of joy and prosperity. When we are suffering in mind or body, when we are experiencing the void of abandonment and helplessness, when we find ourselves a prey to the repugnances and rebellions of nature, which would like to throw off the yoke of the Lord, we cannot pretend to have the comforting feeling of hope, of confidence. Often we may even experience the opposite sentiment. And yet, even in this state, we can make acts of hope and of confidence which are not felt but willed. And that is probably the strongest prayer you're going to make is when you don't feel good about it. <laughs> yeah, um the Holy Father emphasizes that idea of suffering, that idea of the need to continue to act, again, acting as a we and not as an I, um, enduring at times. And then he closes with this. And I want to say, as I uh, indicated, Francis, that the Holy Father pulls no punches here in the way that he ends this encyclical, uh, or at least this section of it. And he talks here about final judgment. He's, you know, making the point that, you know, we don't talk about final judgment very much anymore, uh, but it is nonetheless a reality. He, he goes on to say, grace does not cancel out justice. Justice, obviously, referencing the final judgment. It does not make wrong into right. It is not a sponge which wipes everything away so that whatsoever someone has done on earth ends up being of equal value. Dostoevsky, for example, was right to protest against this kind of heaven and this kind of grace in his no novel, The Brothers Karamazov. Evildoers, in the end, do not sit at a table at the eternal banquet beside the victims without distinction, as though nothing had happened. Uh, here, I would like to quote a passage from Plato, he says, which expresses a premonition of a just judgment that in many respects remains true and salutary for Christians, too. Albeit using a mythological image, he expresses the truth with an unambiguous clarity, saying that in the end, souls will stand naked before the judge. It no longer matters what they once were in history, but only what they are in truth. Often, and this is Plato, often when it is the king or some other monarch or potentate that he, the judge, has to deal with, he finds that there is no soundness in the soul whatever. He finds it scourged and scarred by the various acts of perjury and wrongdoing. It is twisted and warped by lies and vanity and nothing straight because truth has had no part in its development. Power, luxury, pride, debauchery have left it so full of disproportion and ugliness that when he has inspected it, he sends it straight to prison, where on its arrival it will undergo the appropriate punishment. Sometimes, though, the eye uh, of the judge lights on a different soul which has lived in purity and truth when he is struck with admiration and sends him to the isle of the blessed. The reality brought forth by the Holy Father here is we will face judgment, and we need to understand that our hope must be placed in something much larger than ourselves, much beyond our uh, visual range in this world, and it is grounded in love for the we and not the I. And Pope Benedict gives us the perfect guide, the one where we, who we must begin and walk with all along the way um, in allegiance to Christ is with Mary, the star of our hope. No matter what the circumstances of our life, no matter what the struggles, no matter what the hurts and wounds that we carry within us, Mary is our source of comfort, consolation, and hope, always pointing to Christ. Yeah, he says the true stars of our life are the people who have lived good lives. They are lights of hope. Certainly Jesus is a true light, the sun that has risen above all the shadows of history. But to reach him, we also need lights close by. 
people who shine with his light and so guide us along our way. Who more than Mary could be a star of hope for us? With her yes, she opened the door of our world to God himself. She became the living ark of the covenant in whom God took flesh, became one of us, and pitched his tent among us. Well, Mark, I know we've come to the end of our time. I just wanted to throw out a few few quick little ways in which we can practically put this to practice, um, ways to increase our hope. I would start by praying, okay? Meditate, pray. Also, change your thoughts. So many people have very negative thought lives. So you've got to get the battlefield of the mind under um, your hand there. Be kind to yourself, all right? I'd also say curtail your intake of the news because it's very negative, and what you see and hear there uh, really does echo throughout your day and your night. Um, have an attitude of gratitude. Be thankful. Say thankful. Look at the sky. Enjoy nature. Go out and look at the leaves. Smell a flower. Express love tangibly. Go hug somebody for Pete's <laughs> sake. You know, write a note. Encourage somebody. Say this every day, many, many times today. Jesus, I trust in you. Pitch in. Help someone else. Be a part of something bigger than yourself. And always keep perspective. There's always some someone who's worse off than you, things can get better. Laugh and look for signs of hope in your own life and realize that your health and your life and your hope are connected. Well, thank you, Francis. That's a great list. Uh, We'll post some of those items actually on our resource list and encourage you to get um, online and read those. If you don't mind, I'm going to steal your thunder and I'll read the final prayer today. Um, It is a prayer of hope, um, but it is also an acknowledgement of our need for this gift of hope. And so I'd ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear God, enlighten what's dark in me. Strengthen what's weak in me. Mend what's broken in me. Bind what's bruised in me. Heal what's sick in me. And lastly, revive whatever peace and love have died in me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I remind you, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless and maintain hope.